Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world. This session of Talks at GS was recorded before a live audience. Thank you, everybody. And thanks, Mark. Thanks for being here. I'm uh, happy to have you. And since we've got a short period of time, I'm just going to dive right in. Great. Want to start start with artificial intelligence. And we were both we were both at Davos at the World Economic Forum, and there was a discussion or talk at Davos of the fourth industrial revolution fueled by advancements in fields like artificial intelligence. And so, you know, at Salesforce, you've launched Einstein. You've personally written about how AI is becoming more ubiquitous in everything we do. You've talked about interactive chatbots and brick and mortar stores. Talk a little bit about how quickly this is all progressing and you know when we'll see things like that. Well, thanks, David, for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can see the world is changing very rapidly and that um, AI is definitely on everybody's mind. What is happening? How is it going to impact? Um, uh, our world, not just in terms of our technology and the products, but also um, work, the workforce and um, jobs. And it's gonna, we're going to see, you know, very significant uh, um, implications today. I mean, I see that first. I mean, AI is being developed much faster than anybody realized. It's the nature of how it's being built. It means that it's going faster. There's some geopolitical implications of that. You know, when when we're um, in Davos, I met with uh, the leader of a large co European country. I was very worried because uh, they have no native development of artificial intelligence in their country. So they're either dependent on um, uh, American companies to offer them, you know, ar high quality artificial intelligence or Chinese companies. And it, it, it's different than other shifts in our industry because it really is going to get really back down into the core of society and, and jobs. And, and as an example of that, you know, for a while we've been working uh, on our own artificial intelligence, which we call Einstein, and that has, you know, been very successful. Um, in regards to Einstein, you know, I've been running Salesforce with it myself for a couple years, that is, when we run a management meeting, you know, every Monday, mm -hmm. and we review the forecasts and so forth, you know, we kind of leave an extra uh, chair at the open at the table because we'll say, okay, well, Einstein, tell us, you know, how's how's the company doing? What's going on? And we've been able to kind of get that to happen. Now, not only that, I don't actually have to type that command or do that query. Um, uh, I can just speak it. So I can just speak directly to Einstein. And what I saw video last night is I saw it, it basically for the first time coming right back at me, speaking right back at me. So I have the ability to be manage, managing my company with deep learning. That is, it's not just machine intelligence. It's really kind of the, the, the best AI we have in our industry today, which is deep learning technology that it's learning while it's interacting with me. Mm. Now this has been going on already with our product for a while, but then when I saw it, I'm actually just able to speak to it, it's speaking back to me, I'm like, this is extremely powerful, especially in the management setting, especially in the sales setting, but also in the customer service setting, where um, that's traditionally, you've had to speak to an agent 
to get complex information from a system, that, that seems to be uh, going to be fully disintermediated by uh, technology rapidly. Yeah, so furthering on that point, I mean, when we, we, you touched on jobs just a little bit as you, as you answered that, how do, you, how do you see this and the progress of this affecting inequality in society? If you just go right out into the street, which I, where I just was, and walking up and down the streets, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a crisis of inequality. We have one of the worst homeless situations in San Francisco as any uh, country in the world. Now, we're not like New York. New York has something called shelter in place, which means that the 65,000 men, women, and children who are um, homeless in New York, they are legally uh, legally um, obligated to have and, and, and be given the opportunity to have housing every night. We don't have that in San Francisco. So when we have adverse weather like we had last night, we don't have the shelters. And our city is not um, does not take care of our homeless very well. And so that's why we've been fighting for more homeless services. And um, we fought last year for something called Proposition C, which is that for the very top companies in the city, which we're one of, uh, a half of 1% of a tax, not very much, and um, that will go into a fund that will take care of the uh, homeless. Well, that's now generating $30 million a month in additional mm -hmm. homeless services. It has not yet been released by the city, but it's, it's getting closer and closer to being released. And that will have a, a significant impact in the ability to provide direct services to our homeless population because as our tech industry has become more successful and uh, our economy has boomed in, in San Francisco, the average price of a house here is now a million and a half dollars and we don't have this kind of diversified housing in, uh, that you see in other cities where we have you know, different levels of housing or protected housing or the ability, like you see in France, this kind of amazing you know, housing that's dedicated to people you know, who are below certain income levels. Um, and what's happened is, is we're having um, a situation where we have mass dislocation. And uh, this is a very significant issue right now in the city. Yeah. Since you went, you went in this direction, I mean, this, this touches on Davos also, a lot of discussion about companies and their responsibility to yeah. stakeholders broadly, to communities. Um, you know, it's something we've thought a lot about at Goldman Sachs, have always tried, you know, to build on programs mm -hmm. and support the communities broadly that we operate in. You know, you've been a leader in thinking through some of this. Talk a little bit about how you think the broader business community needs to evolve mm -hmm. on this topic. Well, I think that it goes into very, a lot of very specific areas, but one area is taxes. I mean, no, you know, you know, CEOs have a Pavlovian approach when it comes to taxes. You say taxes, we say no. And <laughs> that, that is why, you know, when I went on Prop C, not every CEO supported me. You'll have CEOs who are going to speak today who are against Prop C. Mm -hmm. And that was a tough situation because I'm like, how can you not walk down the streets and see that we have such a serious situation? But CEOs are tax adverse. They can't if they say they can't afford it. They are, their companies are really struggling. Obviously, it's not true. And um, their companies are doing just fine. I know my company's doing you know, just fine. And their companies are doing just fine as well. So we can all afford a little more tax. And it's probably true when you see like the tremendous tax cuts that companies have received um, are, the, are the benefits of those tax cuts flowing into society 
and really impacting those people who need it the most? Or is it going to some other area that's not really helping? And um, I think in some areas, especially when you see real wages not increasing, significant strife in public education, you know, advancements in the homeless populations, um, and many other things, you know, I think we're gonna, we need to like do a check-in on that and say, you know, are, are, have we made the right decisions in regards to not just growing our economy, not just building great technology, not just uh, making, creating wealth, but are we taking care of everybody else? Are we committed, you know, are we committed to improving the state of the world yeah. or are we not? And I think when it gets right down to it, for a lot of CEOs, this is not what they learned in business school. They learned about how to manage their EPS. They're not really focused on community impact. You know, but I don't know how to have a successful business with also having a successful community. No, you've got the homeless to. situation in San Francisco is starting to affect our, our employees. It's mm -hmm. you know, becoming a material issue for us. Yeah. So we have to take action. And we can't just say government is gonna take action because we know that government is mostly you know, not very effective today. Not just our city governments, uh, but our, our federal government. That we as business leaders have to take personal responsibility and start to say, what is it that we're gonna do, each and every one of us, on the major issues that we know that we can make change? And look, we have more power and more capability than ever, but business has to have that level of uh, responsibility. And it can't just be corporate social responsibility. It has to be in, in, in a lot of areas. And this homeless tax issue is a great example because it's a tax. That's like a big deal. It's addressing a major part of the um, city ecosystem. It was, high, it, was a, it was a major fight, you know? And, um, but I, I think that when everybody voted here in, in San Francisco, the reason why 62% of the population voted for it is because nobody wants what we have today here. We, yeah. We've got a real crisis on our hands. Well, this is, this is a topic that's gonna get a lot of attention, you know, broadly all over the world. It's clear governments aren't getting it done, and so it's, it's certainly something we'll continue to talk yeah. more about. And, and I think the other thing that you can look at right down into running your business, you know, like when I look at programs in equality, you know, obviously we have like this inequality situation in San Francisco, so I'm thinking, well, how am I impacting equality in my own company? And one of the areas that's extremely important to me is gender equality. Sure. So when I look at how do we treat women in our company, what are we doing to make our environment and our work environment in our company better for women? And when I look at that, I'm like, there's really four areas. Well, you know, equal opportunity, of course, equal advancement, but it, there's a brass tax, which is equal pay. Do you pay men and women equally for the same work? And for the vast majority of companies in the world, they don't. Uh, the World Economic Forum, where we just were again, said that it's going to be more than 100 years before we pay men and women equally. When we do our own audits, you know, we saw these kind of multi-million dollar spreads between men and women that we closed. And the funny part is, is you know, we've bought 50 companies in the last whatever it is, decade or more. And as we buy companies, when we do due diligence, which is a One process you, you know at. very well, we now have to actually look at pay scales and due diligence. Five years ago, David, I did not look at pay scales in my due diligence. I didn't look at culture. I didn't look at class door ratings. Mm -hmm. I didn't, now I do. I have to look at those things because when you're gonna buy a company, you're not just buying the technology and the customers. 
you're buying the culture. Yeah, you get everything CEOs that goes with need it. to wake up. They need to go, wow, what how am I, you know, what am I doing in terms of what kind of environment am I creating for my organization? And that data's out there. You can action that into your company. And so um, and then the other area is, is preventing sexual harassment. You've mm -hmm. seen in your city several executives, you know, get taken down in the media industry in a very significant way. Very respected CEOs don't have their jobs anymore because they did not pay attention to preventing sexual harassment in their businesses. And that's not just true in your, in, in your city, but in this city too. We have CEOs who are not paying attention to their cultures and kind of allowed toxic cultures to emerge and it's turned into a very significant issue. Even just a few doors down here at Google, they saw all of their employees exit their buildings worldwide last year because they voted on their sexual uh, um, uh, harassment settlements. And uh, that was, I think, very eye-opening for a lot of people. So no CEO you know, wants to get into a position where you have all of your employees exiting the building because sure. they're voting on your culture. And yet that's what's happening today. It's related, actually. All of this is related. Because when we talk about equality, whether it's homelessness, gender equality, sexual harassment, Culture is more important to ever to our employees, and as more and more of our employees are millennial employees, this is more and more important uh, for them. So we, we're, we're doubling down on that. And it's, it's good that you're doubling down on all these issues. These are all issues where, candidly, all companies have to make more progress. Yeah, and as and, an example, the CEO of Goldman Sachs 10 years ago, mm -hmm. this was not something that they had to really focus on. Big priority, you, big priority of mine. Was the new yeah. Goldman Sachs CEO, four months in, this is something that's going to be a major part of your leadership will be looking at all of these things because when it comes to, you know, the Edelman Trust Survey came out, you know, a couple weeks ago. And this is the first year where they asked a question, well, do CEOs have responsibilities in, in this area? And 76% of the respondents say that, you know, I, I expect the CEO of my company to have clear positions in these areas, mm -hmm. you know, wide-ranging areas. And um, when it comes to something like that, you can't just be a domain expert in financial services, software, AI, da, da, da. You've got to know your stuff when it comes to how are you handling your culture, your company, your, uh, your community. It, yep. it's, all, it's all related. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, I want to shift a little bit and talk, um, talk a, lot of, a little bit about data and privacy because there's a lot of focus on data and privacy. Um, and you know, you've, you've talked about companies you know, in this context struggling a little bit um, yep. with a crisis of trust. And so yep. just elaborate on that a little bit more. Well, it's somehow it's actually related to our, the last thing we just were talking about because for each one of us in this room, every CEO has to ask a simple question. What is really important to me right now? What is really important to me or just, how about this? What's the most important thing for your company? What is your highest value? Is it integrity? Is it trust? Is it quality? Is it success? You know, um, is it innovation? What is the most important thing to you? And for each one of us, we will have a different, slightly different answer. You feel like it's got to be one of those? It can't be a number of those with well, strong priority? I don't know. When I was growing up, you know, there were all of these ads on TV, you know, on Ford. They said quality was job one. I don't know if you remember those ads. I right? remember those ads well. I'm old enough, right? old enough to remember those so ads. So that was their highest value. In fact, and I'm sure you've done this, you walk into, 
you know, the Michigan headquarters of Ford, and they have a plaque of their values, and the highest value is quality. Mm -hmm. So to us, my highest value personally and also in Salesforce is trust. Nothing is more important than the trust I have, you know, with my, myself, my high, higher spiritual Your power, people. but also, you know, with my customers, customers with my employees. And how about with my local community? Where is that trust? Do they trust me? They see this big building, you know, shining multiple colors every night, all this stuff. They're going, whoa, do we trust that company? You know, they're in, we know where they are. Do we trust them? Are they taking care of our schools? Are they taking care of the homeless? Are they taking care of the hospitals? Are they taking care of us or are they just making more money? And I think there has to be a balance today. We're, before, maybe trust was not the highest value, mm -hmm. you know? And one of our core values is not just trust, but we just hit it, equality. Not quality, equality. It's got an E in front of it, mm -hmm. you know? Because that has to be a core value, and we have to be able to say, how do we operationalize those values? We do that, that's our job, right? Once we get clear on what our values are, sure. which could be trust, could be customer success, it could be innovation, it could be quality, um, it could be gratitude. When we look at what are our values in our company, we have to say, now how are we gonna operationalize those values? That's our business plan. That's what our employees are doing every day. They're operationalizing our values. You know, that's the core of their, of their work. So we have to be super clear what our values are because ultimately that is what our employees are gonna do every single day. So bring it, bring it back to data for a minute because it feels like in terms of you know being clear well, on well we values have some companies people. that don't yeah. have trust as their highest value yeah. they have other values and you know that any anybody who studies these companies can see oh i can see right now okay that the highest value of this company is not trust that is is it the trust that they have with me and the data that i'm giving them you know now at salesforce that would be very serious because our the data our customers data is theirs yeah we don't productize our customers' data, that's their data. Even as we do AI or deep learning or sophisticated techniques, we've had to come up with ways to fully extract so we don't never see our customers' data. Sure, we have which the same, has been same com issue. Complex. Absolutely, same issue. Yeah, we right. can't look at our customers' data, but we have to say, okay, um, how are we going to be able to maintain that trust? That nothing is more important to us than the trust we have with our customers. We're never going to breach that. So how... Are we going to handle that? Well, I think that not every company is at that level. And different companies, they just can't get up on stage and say trust is our highest value. Do we, now, need, do we need regulation to help move the process on this along? For companies that won't make that change, they're just asking for it. Mm -hmm. You know, they just can't get out of their own way. It's kind of crazy, actually. You know, I mean, it's like, wow, you really can't just say it, can't you? All you have to say is trust is our highest value. And we're sorry for any mistake that we've made, forgive us. They cannot say it. They are just going in a completely different direction where they just keep fighting it. And by doing that, they de destroy their brand. Their executives walk out of the company, you see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I watched the executives walk out, obviously, you know, we're all very tight community here, so they're all having lunches and dinners with each other, whatever, and they'll say, I'm gonna leave that company because that CEO, I'm not gonna go through the names, just, you know, I don't trust them, or all that CEO is interested in is X. And when you hear that, that's that CEO's highest value. Yeah. And that's where you're like, wow, that, 
If, if that was my employer or my executive saying that about me, I would try to be in touch with that before that executive or a whole series of executives walks out that door or customers walk out the door, right? And you've seen it in your industry too. You've had, you guys have had to deal with this now for decades, right? Where it's like you have to constantly pivot back to the customer. And this is something that I think in our industry, you know, we're just getting a taste of that for the very first time because of the nature of these technologies like AI that you mentioned and other things, you know, there, there, is, a, there is a trust gamut with AI, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about leadership and your approach to leadership. Um, you know, you speak a lot about the virtues of mind, uh, mindfulness. You've undergone digital detoxes. You, um, you really lead, you know, you lead in a very powerful by example way. You know, you speak your mind, you talk about things that are important, you've got great passion. You know, give me a little bit on your broad perspective of leadership. You've been running, I'm a new CEO, you've been a CEO for a long time. You know, you've been running, you know, your company really, really well, but also with a unique leadership culture that I think's really had a very positive effect on Salesforce. You look today, Salesforce in the list of the 100 best companies to work for, number two, you know, right up at the top of the list. You know, Goldman Sachs has been on that list for a long time, but we'd certainly aspire to be number two. Talk to me a little bit about your general leadership philosophy. Well, uh, last not last night, but the night before, I was in New York and I was at a retirement dinner for a CEO who's done an amazing job. And she's one of, just Incredible. a great Incredible. CEO. Yeah. But one of the things that she really did was she said to that company and to that board, you know, we have to have a purpose and we have to have a social responsibility and we need to change our culture and we need to shift. We need to move energetically who we are as a company. We need to look at ourselves you know, what are our values? What are our levels of diversity and inclusion? What are the, what are the programs that we're doing for our employees or our customers or for our, 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 um, our communities? And the thing that's interesting to me is the night before that, I did a dinner with maybe a dozen CEOs of Fortune 100 companies. And whenever I go to New York or actually any city, the night I arrive, I always do a dinner with a bunch of customers. Now, mm -hmm. one reason I started that, honestly, it was quite selfish. It was sales type thing. I'm sure you do the same thing. You want to meet your customers, right? Sure. But it rapidly evolved, and what happened was it moved from just being a sales pitch and you know having a slideshow and all that to an around-the-table conversation about values and, and the responsibility of the CEO. And they were asking me the same questions that you were because we were doing some things. And then I realized, wow, I think we actually needed to talk more aggressively about what we're doing and how to do it. You know, there's two things in business. It's not just what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. Sure. You know, and um, that is challenging to CEOs because the things that we are talking about on this stage right here, a lot of the things that we just went through, they're not necessarily best practices or well-established programs or classes, and this is not what we learned. Like, I went to business school from 1982 to 1986 at USC at the Marshall School. That is not what we learned. Mm -hmm. There was no gender equality class, okay? It did not exist. So we are on the fly, we're learning, and that's why we need to learn and grow together. And the role the CEO has changed, for CEOs who understand that, their performance actually has improved. For CEOs who do not understand that, they are, you know, and in, in, uh, they're struggling. And so that's why I think we all have to kind of pick up our skills and say, it's not just about our products. We all have products we're selling. 
It's not just about our financials, we all have those. It's about our culture and what are we doing with these, you know, if business is not the greatest platform for change, then I don't know what is. And I've seen that over and over again around the world, that business really is this incredible platform for change. And when you use it for good, you can impact your, not just your employees and customers, but the communities that you're in. And I think that we can all be an example of that. And everyone in this room, and as I travel the world and talk to you know, our customers, this is something that's extremely important to them. And it's probably one reason why they do business with us, because they all come back and say something really interesting, which is that values bring value. Mm -hmm. And that idea that our values bring value, that is a shift, I think, for chief executives. Yeah. So one of the, one of the just to, to finish, one of the most interesting things you've done over the course of the last couple of years is you created a second CEO. Yes. And, um, you know, I can say because Goldman Sachs is actually one of the few companies I know that at times has had two people running the company. And it's, uh, it's, it, there, are, there are lots of benefits and there, are, there also can be drawbacks. But it seems to be working well for you. Thought process behind it. Well, for me, it, you know, being a kind of a CEO started to become single-threaded and it became a burden in my life. Mm -hmm. That was, I could just see that, you know, you'd be invited to events and conferences, you know how this is. Well, only the CEO can come. Only the CEO can do this. Only you can do that. And I'm like, this is terrible, <laughs> you know? And, um, and I just realized it's not true, actually. And I have a fabulous executive in my company who'd been with me for five years as my COO. Yep. And I'm like, he would be a fabulous co-CEO and he can be my peer and we can manage the company together and it can be release the burden. And you know, I was with it, a friend of mine who is a CEO executive um, uh, and we were at this event on Tuesday night again mm -hmm. And the, that person was lamenting, oh, my job has taken over my life. It's everything. I can't get away from it. I can't go on vacation. I can't do this. I can't do that. If I do go on vacation, I have to be on my phone 24-7. And I'm like, well, I, you know. You, Here's an idea. Yeah, you've <laughs> got to find your partner, basically. Yeah. And, and it can really help you. And uh, well, I said, oh, I can't do it. And I asked him a simple question. I said, then you have to find another way. And I guess that that, he wrote me an email yesterday, he goes, I stayed up all night just like focusing on that. How do I find another way? Great there, piece of advice. There's always another way. Always. Because yeah. there's infinite possibilities. And when it comes to things like the vision for our company, for our values, for who we are, what we're doing, our individual roles in these organizations, there's always another way. There's always another option. And the key is how do you find that? Yeah. Next way. Well, I wish I, I wish I had another another half hour. All right. Well, always thank you, David. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank it's great good. to talk to thank you. Always you really great. This podcast was recorded on February fourteenth, two thousand nineteen. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part, or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. 
The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.